Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. I happened to watch a clip of the 1978 Jesus film. Again, as our youngest wanted to watch that. And the scene came up where Mary came in, wiping the Lord's feet with her hair. And it was such a tender scene. To actually be there, to witness that, and even more so to be the very one doing that act of worship, coming in without invitation, coming in under suspicion by the general public, but with great expectation and honor in the eyes of the Lord because that woman was a forgiven woman. She was a brand new person. She came to worship. Something had happened to her. And the Lord has recorded that more than once in the scriptures. That was the Mary whose sister was Martha, the busy one, as we will read again. And Lazarus, another righteous righteous man, her brother. This is the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, costly oil, and wiped his feet with her hair. This covering that's given to a woman, signifying dignity. As she poured out the fragrant oil, so she, in essence, poured out her dignity at the feet of the Lord highly esteeming him he's so worthy of our highest worship he's an awesome God we are moved deeply as King David was when we come closer to see his glory this woman experienced that worship of the living God and here it says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Our brother is sick, Lord, the one you love. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The Lord had a, a word when they had a message that something's seriously wrong, the Lord countered that with His purpose, His plan. His plan is eternal. And often we cannot see what's happening in front of us and what we are embroiled in until the Lord speaks a word. When He speaks a word, it comes to embrace us and keep us intact brings hope. 
They had a situation. They tried to handle it. But they knew Jesus was available. They knew Jesus cared. He loved them. And so they sent the message to the one who was the great physician. But they're going to find out he's more than just the physician who can heal. He's the Lord of the resurrection who can restore life. And so it's written, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. There's a bigger purpose. Hallelujah for the people who know the purpose of God in every situation that comes to try them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. For the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. As long as our eyes are fixed on the Lord Jesus, no matter what we're going through, which implies that we will listen to his instructions, we know that everything will turn out in our favor. Hallelujah. They received this word, and certainly it would have been comforting, but they had a crisis of faith also simultaneously occurring when they heard the word from God. How many of us have been there? First of all, we feel alone, or we feel very limited to handle something, any situation that comes at us, any storm. But then we cry out to the Lord, and the Lord reaches down, and He sends His word and then there's a choice like Peter walking on the water, momentarily taking his eyes off the Lord and the sinking happens. Our strength is on keeping our eyes on the living God. And Mary and Martha will learn that God can do the impossible. Hallelujah. Our scope is limited based upon our limited experience with God. We must also remember, although the experience with God is precious, He's much bigger than that limited experience. As Job said, He can do all things well, as we know from Ephesians 3.20. Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, unto Him be glory in the church for all ages. This Christ, this God, world without end. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that He was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where He was Apparent contradiction, a paradox. It seems confusing. He loved them, and so he didn't go to them immediately to help them. But he loved them so much that he had much, a much bigger, grander purpose and display of the glory waiting for them. But they couldn't see, and so it is with us. Many times we want things done immediately, and we want things done a certain way, and if it doesn't happen that way, we think that God doesn't care and Satan can move in and begin to bring all kinds of doubts and fears. But our anchor is in the word of God from the one who's faithful. 
to keep his promise. They would learn some very valuable lessons, Mary and Martha. Lazarus also, when he would come back from the dead, he would know for certain that Jesus is able to bring life where death is, even when it is stinking. God can remove the stink from our lives and from anyone's life. He can remove death, make us fragrant with the message of life. He can transform a murderer into a missionary to take his word everywhere proclaiming his greatness and his goodness. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus so when he heard that he was sick he stayed two more days in the place where he was. He did not move. Then after this he said to the disciples let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? There's something about dependency upon God and an allegiance and loyalty to do his will no matter what. We see that in Paul the Apostle, particularly when he was cautioned by a prophet and fellow disciples, brothers, not to go to the place where he could possibly be hurt badly physically and even killed. He said, none of these things move me. I'm going. Ready not only to suffer being bound, Paul said, but to give my life for the Lord. He loved the Lord so much and he knew his power. that without accomplishing the perfect will of God, no one is going to be able to take Paul's life. And so here, no one's going to be able to take the Lord Jesus' life. How much more? The disciples, once again, they operated on their human logic. They forgot the power of God and the will of God. And Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The Lord is the light. He's walking in the path of light Nothing's going to happen to him and nothing's going to happen to the people who are with him until his mission is complete. He knows what he's doing. God is directing his son's steps. God the Father telling exactly what God the Son would do. When our ship and fellowship, our communion with the Lord is very strong. We don't move by emotion merely, but by the whisper and the commands of the Holy Spirit. Because we have to accomplish God's will. Twelve hours in the day, 
You don't have to worry if you're a child of the day. In Genesis chapter 1, it's written way before God created the sun, moon, and the stars that he created light. It was some other kind of light. And way before the sun, moon, and stars were set also for the dividing of the day and night, he divided the day and night before that. It's written explicitly in Genesis chapter 1 that he called the the light day and he called the darkness night. And we see in the New Testament, including in the epistles, that the children of the day don't need to fear at all. Because God will protect them and God will bless them. There's a character and there's a following after the Lord of Light that keeps them from stumbling. But the children of the night do all kinds of things that are wicked. The Lord says, don't worry about anything. We're going to Judea. I have a work to do there. You're following me? The Lord said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As long as we're following the Lord Jesus in our lives, as long as we're listening for his voice and to his word, we don't have to fear the circumstances or what awaits us in the place where God directs us because God says, I will go with you. Just like he told Joshua three times in Joshua chapter 1, we see twice God encourages Joshua and commands him. And then through the people, the same word God voices back to Joshua. Be strong and have a good courage. God says, I'm with you. I'm the one who's commanded you. So the disciples lost sight of that somehow. And they were afraid. Lord, you're going back to Judea. You're prone to get stoned, Lord, and possibly get killed. He said, I'm walking in clear daylight. I am the light. You don't have to worry for me or for you. Once again, John chapter 8, verse 12, we see the connection of the terminology that the Holy Spirit has recorded, light and night, darkness, day, and so forth. The Lord saying, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12. He who follows me, if he's going to Judea to raise Lazarus, no one's going to do anything to him or to his disciples because they're walking in the light and they're walking after the light. They will not walk in darkness. And further in the epistles, as we mentioned, we who are of the day and not of the night, we walk in love and holiness, no malice, no uncleanness, no folly, but 
discerning the will of God there's a clear path of the cross to follow which will lead to glory and this is the heritage of God's people you don't have to fear so the Lord assures them I'm here follow me these things said he and after that he saith unto them our friend Lazarus sleeps but I go that I may wake him up and apparently they heard when the message came to Jesus that Lazarus is sick his disciples said Lord if he sleeps he will get well however Jesus spoke of his death but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep in other words Lord if he's sleeping why don't you leave him alone let him rest he can recover you see the statements from the disciples and they're human just like us but many times when the Lord speaks not just in this chapter and not just Peter but at some points all of them they come in with an interjection or a, an answer to what God is saying and missing that he is God he's saying something and if we don't understand we need to ask him but we need to not volunteer our understanding or our solution how simple life would be if we just turn to the lord and say lord i've come to depend upon you anything you say about my marriage lord from genesis to revelation and particularly in the new testament for christians lord speak to me about my marriage and the state of my relationship with my spouse i want to know everything there is to know from you lord on how to be a godly wife or a godly husband lord speak to me about parenting i want to know lord the right way and the wrong way by you and not my in my own estimation by what other people say in the world lord i want to know before i make a move whether it is your will or not and i'm willing to wait lord to hear from you not to run impulsively because it looks good the disciples still had to learn that when the lord speaks they just have to follow it's so simple and as they follow they will understand more but a lot of times there's a brake pressed when the lord is saying let's go and then jesus said to them plainly lazarus is dead obviously if the lord if it takes the lord to go and wake him up there's something more than normal sleep he's referring to concerning lazarus who is sick they brought the human logic and we have to 
really keep an eye upon our own opinions, our own logic, and even what other people, quote-unquote experts, say about anything in life. We need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need revelation. I need revelation, Lord. There's much information out there, but I want revelation, Lord. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Sleep is often used by Christians, and it's taken from the scriptures, as the Apostle Paul would write later by the Holy Spirit, that many have fallen asleep, and those asleep in the Lord, they will rise first, referring to death. For the believer, it's as if they're sleeping. God has taken away the sting of death. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas apparently didn't understand and didn't receive that the Lord said, Nothing's going to happen. I'm the light. You're with me. I have a mission. It's not my crucifixion yet. They couldn't understand these things. And he said, Well, it looks like the Lord's going to be a martyr, so let's also go and be martyrs. Why are these statements recorded here? Wouldn't the narrative be much cleaner and straight to the point that the Lord got the message and he went? Whatever the disciples mumbled and murmured, it's okay, it's not worth putting in the narrative. No, the Holy Spirit has recorded what happens when human nature comes to conflict with the divine nature. So it is with the believer. One who is born again and filled with the Spirit of God has a choice to make at what point, what juncture, they will decide to resort to the flesh and carnal thinking. And that will spell disaster. That would spell disaster. But we can go following the Holy Spirit because we're familiar with the Word of God. We're in the Word day and night meditating in it. And we're talking to God constantly. Lord, show me how to behave. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, the young pastor. He said that you may know how to behave in the church of God. Not that Timothy was bad, but the kind of character and the decision making and relationship building is a something that needs to be taught by the Holy Spirit because we don't have it innately. We're not born with it. We get born again and then we need to be taught by the Spirit of God. And the one who is a good disciple of Jesus will rely upon Him for everything and say, Lord, I can't wait but to feast on Your Word, Lord. I'm going to sit like Mary at your feet, I want to know how to handle everything, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. I don't know. It would have been 
good if we could read that Thomas listened and Peter listened and they always said the right thing. But it's not the case. And it would be a sad commentary on the individual who looks at this and says, well, I'm glad God wrote in the failures because it gives me comfort and consolation when I fail. It should not be the case. That's not the reason why God put it there primarily. The reason the Lord recorded these things, when we see that they're not in sync with the will of God, and they speak contrary to God's will many times, is for us to learn not to do those things. At the same time to know that as the Lord is gracious with them, so he will be with us if we're sincere. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Real places. Anyone can look at the map and we can see this is so even today. Bethany was near Jerusalem. Very small places compared to our big cities. This is where the Lord of heaven and earth became a human being and walked. Spent a lot of time there. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. We must be pulled into the story. This true historical event such sorrow. And that too, a family and people who love Jesus and whom Jesus loves very much going through tremendous tragedy many many questions certainly and now they would have to face this delayed apparent delayed arrival of the one who could have given life to their brother but as far as they can see it's too late verse 20 then Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming went and met him but Mary was sitting in the house. Overcome with grief. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's expressing her faith. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. He said, I know, Lord, that anything you ask of God, God will give you. 
Jesus says he's going to come back from the dead. And she says, I know it's going to happen later. And he says, it's present tense. I am the one who gives life. He is that second Adam, the life-giving spirit. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm here. I bring life with me. As the Lord would say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes we read the scriptures, verses are isolated, are within a narrow context, but we see what life means. Not just a good life, a life without crime or a life that is having some support in the Lord, but he is a powerful, life-giving spirit. The second Adam, as Paul would write, he imparts life, so much so that in Romans, it's written, Romans 8, that he quickens us by his spirit. Even our mortal bodies, something impossible happens. There are people who have wanted to come to fellowship at church, fellowship with God and with the brothers and sisters, there's a desire that came from the Holy Spirit and Satan came and afflicted them and said, you cannot do this. Various impediments. But those who turned to the Lord and said, Lord, but I want to be there, Lord. Take me there. Lord, help me to overcome this. Many have experienced a sudden overturning of that predicament, sudden release from that bondage that the devil suddenly brought. And the life of God came in to their very bodies. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Speaking about two kinds of death, obviously, the first death is the death that everyone dies normally as human beings except for the two figures in Scripture. Enoch and Elijah prior to this who went and were translated without seeing death but it's the normal course of life unless by divine prerogative God does something special and also with the people who will be alive at the rapture when the Lord returns they will not see death but the normal course for every human being, whether it was King David, whether it was Abraham, even the Lord Jesus, for our sakes, not because of his sin, but that he inherited sin. But that first death, when it occurs, the Lord says, even if that happens, a person will live again. It will not be a resuscitation physically, but it will be a resurrection 
spiritually and eternally. And the soul that believes in God, that soul will never die even when physical death comes. The Lord is saying, as he impressed upon the disciples in the midst of a furious storm, when they feared for their very lives, men who are experienced on that Sea of Galilee, they knew when it was all over. But they've forgotten that the one who's with them in the boat, even though he's sleeping, is in control of their lives. And as he would say, that one hair is going to fall without the knowledge of your father. And he had to rise from his sleep being woken up, stop the storm in its tracks, restore peace, and tell them what happened to your faith. In other words, you should have believed. He asked that question to impress upon them that you should have believed. They should have believed. And here, the Lord says something similar. I'm in control of the whole situation. I know I know what's happened. I've come to bring life to your brother. There's a purpose. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. I believe in your divine nature. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. How loving God is. Sometimes we can miss this. Now Mary didn't come and meet him. And the Lord was not proud. He's the almighty God, but he's a meek and gentle savior. He loves. He wasn't offended. And he gave a personal invitation through. Martha, the one whom we can lean upon in times of terrible distress, when we feel our world has completely been shattered, he speaks lovingly to us. A bruised reed shall he not break. Smoking flax will he not quench. This is the nature of our Lord. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when she saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where she was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the exact same things that her sister Martha had said just a little while earlier. Except Martha said, I know even now God will give you what you ask. 
Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Why was he groaning in the spirit and why was he troubled? He's the Lord of resurrection. He's almighty. He's invincible. Once again, in Genesis 1 is written explicitly more than once. Not the beasts that were created. Not the fish or the fowl. The birds. But man God made in his image. He said, let us make man in our image. The heart and the emotions. The ability to feel and empathize. It's part of the divine nature. It was in God first and we are made in His image to have the capacity. And what a sight to behold the ones He loved suffering under this grief. And to see the people God knows all things but He came down in person as a human being he has felt what it feels like when we are in the deepest affliction in our souls he groaned in the spirit and was troubled there was a disturbance within him there's chaos happening here death has occurred it's not pleasant now, although he referred to death as sleeping for the ones who are in him, still it's a cruel thing. And the effect of it on the ones who are left behind is very difficult to behold. Weeping, weeping, weeping. He's groaning in the spirit and he was troubled. He is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. There's a problem here and he's coming to solve it. But he feels the weight of the problem. He's not a God who comes and snaps his fingers and says, don't cry over it. We just need a solution here. He's a God who cares deeply. We can count on him when we cry to him. He will share our burden. Even more than that, He will take our burdens. Hallelujah. And He said, to, "And He said, where have you laid Him? They said to Him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The groaning is one thing, and being troubled in spirit is one thing, but the weeping is another thing. God has gone through 
so much more than we can understand being God who became flesh and he cares deeply and much more than many times we understand. Hallelujah. Might as well have it written this way in the John 11.35, the shortest verse that in the Bible. God wept. To see God cry. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. That's what we must say. See how God loves us. When he sees what we're going through, it's not pleasant. There's chaos. There's, there are problems. We're not only not alone. We have someone who cares about us and he will take our burdens if we trust him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind, what rejoicing came to the people who were blind when he gave them sight, brand new life, joy unspeakable. Couldn't he bring joy in this situation? Couldn't he have kept the people from so much sorrow? Why? So much sorrow. Why? Why couldn't this have been prevented? As the Lord said, we read recently, referring to the man born blind, the disciples questioned, Lord, did this man sin or his parents sin? Which one was it? The Lord said, neither of them. But this is for the glory of God. God is up to something big. He's up to something good in your life, in my life, something great and glorious. The sooner we put aside every distraction that keeps us from knowing the Lord and talking to Him and receiving from Him, the sooner we'll be able to be in sync with His perfect will, be able to rejoice knowing that every time it seems like a world is caving in or some storm comes, we know the Lord is going to pull us through and bring us through with victory. These people... like Mary and Martha and like his disciples, didn't understand that when God loves someone and bad things happen, especially people who love him, and that love is evidenced by obedience to his word and a longing to be with him, whatever storm it is, Whatever chaos comes, the Lord is going to bring a much greater victory out of it. It's the truth. It's not a hope and a wish, some kind of poetic expression to alleviate our pain. It's not simple poetry. It is the truth. And Jesus is going to demonstrate that. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. Again it's written that he was groaning in himself. Isn't one time enough? The emphasis is unmistakable. 
there's a trouble and distress in the Lord's heart when he saw up close the distress that came upon people and the challenge because they couldn't understand he was about to do something they've never seen before we have all of this written down we must be praising God saying Lord I know I know that I know that I know you're going to pull me through because Lord I know you love me and I love you and I'm following you you are the light I'm not going to stumble if I follow you you're going to bring me through this hallelujah it's so important to be in the word so important to be in a community of people who really fear the Lord and love the Lord and are walking in holiness pursuing that because only in that crowd is there safety not in claiming to love God lip service and then doing our own things here and there rebelling against his commandments and seeking comfort and support from other people just like ourselves when we're in the wrong to encourage us in that wrong and to speak against the people that are being wronged by us perhaps it's written in Jeremiah chapter 17 the human heart the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked but in the very same chapter is written blesses the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is because there are two kinds of people mentioned there not every heart is deceitful and corrupt not every human heart is full of unbelief the majority are but not every one when we decide to say lord i'm tired of that desperately wicked lifestyle i'm tired of lord trying to run my life my way and have you as my co-pilot and partner you are the lord of my life i must follow your orders lord that's where life is then we will see great and glorious things and nothing will be able to stop us we will be truly invincible because God is with us he's on our side and we are with him we're abiding in him Jesus groaned the troubling situation was there he came to the tomb it was a cave and there was an impediment there an obstacle stone lay against it Jesus said take away the stone Martha the sister of him who was dead said to him lord by this time there's a stench for he has been dead 4 days Jesus said to her did i not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of god once again the interruption why is this happening why do we read this in the old testament and in the new over and over and over again people are blocking god's forward momentum to do the miracle it's because they don't understand his power and his promise but we of all people must say lord these are not written so i can get consolation my own failures but to say i i don't have to fail and keep doubting and not believe i need to trust you lord he to believe God had to tell her didn't I tell you already if you believe you will see the glory of God doesn't matter God is saying it doesn't matter doesn't matter if it looks like it is absolutely hopeless beyond repair and if there are 
are signs of death. So evident and so palpable. The strong odor that's going to come in the normal course of events when death has occurred it's probably material before the Lord when he comes on the scene hallelujah drug addiction prostitution people who are cheating business people who tell lies nurses I'm able to transform all of that he's able to take a murderer make the person a missionary tell about God's love to go and lay down their lives so others can live he's able to take a thief and as instructed in Ephesians let him that stole steal no more but let him labor working with his hands that he may have to give to him that has need transforms death into life then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people, it was for the benefit of the people. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Publicly calling on God, Elijah did such a thing. He called on God and fire came down from heaven. Would Jesus dare to do the same thing? Especially in front of a dead body? That could be miraculous. It's the showdown with Satan and death and unbelief. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. He spoke to the Father. He was showing that he's not doing these things independently. It's important. Why is it important? Because God works in a particular fashion to explain that every scripture is being fulfilled and Jesus was sent by him, the Father, on a mission not just to multiply the fish and the loaves and to open blind eyes and even raise the dead physically. He came to give everlasting life. And through these things that people may believe, the God who can do all of these impossible things, I can trust him with eternity. I must fear him and love him and follow him. Fear him and love him and follow him. Because I can trust him, he will do all things well for me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Was it possible for the Lord to raise this dead man to also cause to disintegrate the grave clothing around him even give him a new set of clothing 
course, God can do anything. He's the one who spoke light into existence and breathed life into Adam's nostrils. He can do anything. But God doesn't interfere with some things. He has a lesson to teach. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. He involves the people in the miracle. They have no power to do the miracle. They don't support and help the Lord do the miracle, but involves them. There's always something for us to do. The, the young girl that he raised to life, after that he told the parents, give her something to eat. The instructions surrounding a miracle before and after must be followed. God has a purpose in everything. The Bible is the only book without any fault. Where the manufacturer never has to insert additional notes or narrative sheet to say we have some modifications here. Line 25, the instruction here and that statement there. Every word of God is pure, tried, silver in a furnace, seven times. Every word of God, flawless, every single word, perfect. Every single instruction God gives us is perfect. And we have the joy of knowing that God can never be corrected. Never. Because there's no need. He's perfect. If we are thinking about taking our child and putting him or her into soccer, if we're thinking about going out to dinner somewhere, if we're thinking about planning our vacation, wouldn't it be correct and wise before we ever make a single move toward the direction to say, Father, show me what your perfect will is. There will be times where God will show that what we thought was perfect was actually not a good thing. But will serve to rob us of the intimacy we need with God. Things that we want to do, we don't see the whole picture, but God does. We have spoken on this message before, on this particular chapter, about how people carry the works of the flesh. They've been raised 
from death. They've been born again, but they're walking around with grave clothing because the stink of death is appealing to them. There's an affinity to that which God delivered them from, and they want to carry some remnants of that, some relics. God says, get rid of it. You don't have need of that. It doesn't belong to you. The spirit and the flesh are opposites. They're hostile one to another. You have to decide which one you'd keep. I was relaying this to the family as I was reading about music. I was hearing how one of the early pioneers during the time of blues music pioneering, that genre, way back at the turn of the 20th century. The man was in church and he was playing gospel music and he was even preaching and then he discovered blues music which used to be called the devil's blues and as he was playing the blues music he said I realized that there's something different about this music and blues music somehow is not compatible with me preaching from the pulpit. This man said that this was his own opinion at that time. And uh, he said, the blues music has these whining tones and it talks about problems and letting people feel your problem but it doesn't give a solution. But gospel music talks about the problem and then gives a solution. This man, who is not particularly educated well, recognizes and he said, I realized that I couldn't have God and the devil both, so I decided to leave the pulpit for good. Interesting. And he said this, I'm saying this in connection with the grave clothing here, the flesh versus the spirit in the life of one who is truly born again. And this blues guitarist and singer met up with another man who also was playing blues music. And that man decided, I'm going to leave that music for good and go to preaching. And this man became an alcoholic, the first one. And he met up with the preacher man. And he said, pray for me. And the other man told him, another man who was not very well educated, but he said, basically, you need to seek God. And God will deliver you. And the second man said, it hurt him deeply. He found out the other man died shortly afterwards. He knew that he couldn't walk around claiming to be risen from the dead sporting grave clothing but he wouldn't part from it and so death overtook him that same man said this he said I learned to play, play the blues this way and it can happen to you he said get your guitar 
And before midnight, just stay there by yourself with the guitar. And a dark man will come. Take your guitar from you, tune the guitar, play something on it, give it back to you and command you to play it. He said, that's how you learn the blues and that's how I learned it. Now, this was not some figment of his imagination. This was not something that he made up. He actually was visited by demonic spirits. In our lives, God will speak to us on every single count. Because in every situation, every decision, God has a say in the matter. There is life and then there is death. And we cannot see death for what it is many times. Because our desire is so strong sometimes for that which would be conducive to our pleasure, not according to the purpose of God, which is the real pleasure that will come for eternity. Being a person who is very much into music, at least had a big background in it, the Lord led me to these things that I read and also confirmed some things in encyclopedias similar to jazz music. It's interesting. I, I don't say anything as a conclusion for anyone here, but I'm simply sharing how there are things involved that we may not be aware of, but when we study the history or the origin of something, Perhaps God is speaking to us regarding that and other things. How the Spirit of God would help us to investigate, understand more. Of jazz music, it was actually a bad word. And people recognized that and they changed the letter. That music also contributed to a lot of delinquency. And then there was gospel music and there was a marriage of these things and they came out with gospel jazz and jazz gospel and gospel blues and blues gospel. Could there be a greater contradiction? The Lord said, loose him and let him go. Similar to the martial arts and how when God convicted me many, many years ago that I cannot be preaching Jesus to the teenage crowd that I was a part of clenching my fist to show skills even in the name of self-defense. I knew instinctively something's wrong with that but I had people, even Christians encourage me go ahead and continue to do that. I'm not a Officer of the law, I'm not a soldier. I trust God. Many, many people have gotten through life without the martial arts protecting them or having it as a tool. They simply trusted in the Lord. Jesus said, My servants know that my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. In our contemporary society, so many things go over our heads and so many believers are suffering because they just don't understand. And God is saying, I want to show you all that you need to know to live a godly life 
with no open doors for the devil. Loose them and let them go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. One of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together and one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Everything is going according to God's program, including the weeping and the suffering, and yet God comes in the midst of it to show that he loves us and he can rescue us. And he went to the cross. Then from that day on, verse 53 of John chapter 11, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness. Now he was not afraid And he knew no one can take him before his time, but he also knew not to tempt the Lord. And so it is with us. Sometimes we may feel like doing some good work, some evangelizing. We've given this caution over and over again. We've seen too many people working in the rehab centers across the country, visiting them, preaching, homeless missions, The Bowery, the New York City Rescue Mission used to be known as the Macaulay Macaulay Mission. Homeless missions in San Diego, rehabs in Arizona and Maine. You've seen too many people who get so excited either because they just got born again or they recovered from backsliding and being in a dark place, and they're eager to go and witness and do something to save somebody. They don't heed the caution, they don't consult the Holy Spirit, they don't listen to advice, and they fall into the trap again. The Lord himself, Jesus Christ, exercised wisdom. He knew when to withdraw, when to go forward. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. There remained with his disciples. In the Lord's case, he was not going to fall no matter where he is. But he was following the Father's will. There's a set time and a set place and a set way that God wants us to do things. And we're not capable of knowing it. None of us are. Unless God teaches us. That's the wonderful thing, secret. We can always go to God and train ourselves. Lord, I'm going to continue to pray about everything, anything and everything, Lord. I want you to guide me, and God will guide us. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, this elaborate structure. So many people can be there in the various 
grounds of the temple, the divisions for where the women would gather and where the people would bring the sacrifices would gather and where the priests would gather and even the court of the Gentiles. And in this place, a popular destination, they said among themselves, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast? This man who is doing miracles. This is a major Jewish festival. We're commanded by God to show up over here. He disappeared. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. The Lord kept the Passover. Wonderful as we read this narrative and we conclude here in John chapter 11. Going back to the concept of the Lord himself being the light, we can follow him precisely, we'll never stumble. It's possible to walk from a certain point in our Christian life to the very end without stumbling. We've taught on this before, not only in the Psalms, various places in the Old Testament, as well as the New, in Second Peter 1. If we do certain things following the Lord, we will never stumble. And so the Lord never stumbled. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He always talked with his Father. When we leave our independence, we depend upon the Lord, and we raise our level of communion with him, not to come and interject and tell him our opinions and our suggestions, but to simply listen like young Samuel did and say, Speak, Lord. Great servant is listening. Then we can live a life like that, Samuel. Impeccable. Standing for the Lord. And what an impact he had on his generation. On the nation. Even to this day, like Abel, though he's dead, testimony still speaks. What strength we get from reading about little Samuel as a boy, being so faithful to the Lord that God came out of everyone on the face of the earth. He came to a child and revealed the future. God wants to reveal a lot to us. As I mentioned, God doesn't want us just to have information but revelation. He doesn't want us to have gospel entertainment but deliverance and to be people who He can use, who He can use to bring His revelation and His deliverance Going about doing good just like the Lord Jesus, as is written in Acts, doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. May we become sharp and sharper instruments in the hands of the Almighty God to bring light and life to our generation. May we see many resurrections. 
many people loosed from their grave clothing. Living life that is abundant to the glory of God. So we pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You groaned in the Spirit, Lord. Twice it's recorded there in John 11, and you cried, you wept. Sweet Jesus, thank you, Lord, for being near to us. Thank you, Lord, for shouldering all our burdens. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we're at our wit's end many times. You are our deliverer from Zion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for setting the course of this day for us, O Father. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you as you are to us by your grace. May healing come to the people who have heard the word of God this morning. All of the situations, I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.